is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Skalarsev. Happy New Year. Belated. Happy New Year. It's been a minute. It's been a while. Actually, it's been more than a month since the SBI Show was back. And definitely apologies for the delay. Apologies for the break. But I did take a break. And I definitely felt bad about that. I was... I definitely kept busy um, between uh, the CBS Sports gig. I'm working on the broadcast side over at CBS Sports now and operating SBI. We've we've made the full move over to a subscription site. No, not all stories are, are subscription stories, but the, the site itself is a subscription site. And if you haven't subscribed yet, check the site out. See if maybe you'd like to subscribe. Thank you to all of you who have subscribed already. And hopefully those of you thinking about it will uh, be able to convince you in the coming days, weeks, and months. But the show is back, and there is so much to get into, so much to talk about. Now, full, I fully accept that we can't get to everything that has happened in the past month. It'd be like a four-hour episode if we did that. So I'm going to start chipping away at everything with this episode. We'll be back. I want to say Monday, and hopefully we get the ball rolling again and getting back to a consistent run like we had back in in you know October, November, right into early December. The last episode was right before MLS Cup, and yes, New York City FC, they're your reigning MLS Cup champions. I won't get into MLS Cup. It's been a month now. Actually, the new the new season is almost around the corner. Teams are some teams are already starting to report for uh, for training. Uh, the teams competing in CONCACAF Champions League are already beginning their preseason preparations. So it's crazy how quickly the, the offseason just came and went uh, for MLS. And, you know, I, I'd love to get into into that MLS Cup. I'll, I'll touch on it at some point uh, in the coming episodes. Uh, I won't do it this episode just because we have so much to get into. And I want to I want to make sure I touch on as much of the, the the big things that are happening right now, the the current current events and also. We have a guest. We have a guest this episode, first episode back. I said I wanted to start having some guests again, and we do have a guest joining us from Belgium is Chris Durkin, the American midfielder, former U.S. under-20 men's national team midfielder, and he's hoping he'll be, in the future, a U.S. men's national team midfielder, and he's part of that contingent of Americans applying their trade over in Europe, and we're going to talk to him about his time over there, how everything's going. And also the possibility about him coming back to MLS. For those who don't remember, he was a DC United homegrown player. Didn't quite get the opportunities that he would have liked to get when at a you know at a younger age over at DC United. And he made the move to St. Troyden in Belgium and has has gotten regular playing time over the past couple of years. And we'll get into that next uh, in the next hour. Um, but obviously, we have Americans abroad news to discuss. We have some World Cup qualifying news to discuss, and obviously MLS. There's there's tons that have hap- that is, has happened in the past month. Whether it's coaches hired, big deals being made, trades, signings, you name it, a lot, a lot is going on. A lot has happened, and a lot uh, is about is going to happen in the coming weeks. Now first, we're going to start Americans abroad. And I wanted to start with Serginho Dest. And the reason I want to start with Serginho Dest is because he's he's in a in a tough situation right now. He's at FC Barcelona still, for now. And uh, when we last left off, the last time we had the show, he was already kind of in the doghouse, you know, since the hiring of Xavi as manager of Barcelona. Ronald Koeman was fired. Since Ronald Koeman was fired, 
and Xavi has come in, Serginho Dest's role at Barcelona has basically just evaporated. And when Koeman was ma- Ronald Koeman was manager, he he started every game. Serginho Dest started every game, whether he was as a winger or as a fullback. Uh, Ronald Koeman obviously really trusted Dest. He really liked Dest. He's the one who really pushed for him to be signed in the first place. And then Xavi comes in. Look, I love Xavi, one of my favorite players of all time. And, and you know, he has he sees things a certain way. He likes certain you know certain profile of player. He they went and brought back Danny Alves, who's eighty five years old now. But he look he can still play, so I give it to him. He can still play. But there is a new wave of of young Barcelona academy players coming up there, and, and Xavi clearly wants to put his stamp on the team. And we've seen this before. We've seen this with clubs all over the world. You've seen it in MLS, absolutely. Uh, situations where a player is kind of seen as being a guy for the other, the, the previous coach, right? He was the previous coach's guy. And fair or not, Serginho Dest definitely has that label. He's carrying that label of being, he is Ronald Koeman's guy. He was one of Ronald Koeman's guys. And now Xavi comes in. He wants to make changes. He wants to put his stamp on the team. And he looks at Dest and he's like, mm, he's not quite what I want as a right back. So what happens now? What happens now is Serginho Dest is a popular player on the transfer market because as much as Xavi might not be interested in keeping him, several big time teams want him and are looking at him. And the two that have come to the forefront are Chelsea and Bayern Munich. And we know Bayern Munich obviously is the team that lost out to Barcelona in the first place when uh, Serginho Dest left Ajax and he signed, he, he completed his transfer to Barcelona. It was Bayern Munich, Barcelona, and it came down to, it seems like at least, that Ronald Koeman was kind of the deciding factor. I'm sure at the time, the idea of playing with Lionel Messi didn't hurt things, right? If you're Serginho Dest. And it was, it was an established thing that Serginho Dest loved Barcelona growing up. He loved the idea of playing for his the, the team that he loved as a child. And and so he had that in his favor. And obviously, Ronald Koeman being there sealed the deal. And here we are, fast forward, a year and a half later, Bayern Munich is back in. They're interested. And uh, they've got some issues as well. They could still use a, a right back. And now they might uh, need, at least on the short term, some help at left back. We'll get into that a little bit later. Alfonso Davies. Uh, some unfortunate news as far as Davies goes. We'll we'll touch on that in the U.S. men's national team slash World Cup qualifying segment. But Bayern Munich is obviously at the forefront. They one of the teams at the forefront to potentially sign Serginho Dest, and the other team is Chelsea. And obviously Chelsea, they're in a tough spot because you know Ben Chilwell suffered a torn ACL. So right there, you're you know you lose a, a key a key option as as you're on the left side. And then, and one thing Serginho Dest has going for him is that he has that versatility. He can play on the left side. He can play on the right side. And, you know, if you're Thomas Tuchel and you look at Dest and his qualities and you say, hey, this is the perfect guy for my system to play as a wingback either side. I mean, we've even, you know, we've seen Christian Pulisic playing as a wingback in, in recent matches uh, on occasion. If you're Chelsea, Dest is the perfect guy. And... Clearly, money is no 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 object when it comes to Chelsea. So, it isn't even a case of they have to wait till the summer. They could absolutely buy Dest now. And uh, unfortunately for Chelsea, the title race is basically over. Right? They just I'm recording this Saturday morning, and Chelsea has just lost to Manchester City one nil. Kevin De Bruyne with a beautiful goal, and City's got about a, what is it a 13 point lead? It's over. The title race is over. Manchester City's not dropping 13 points. So if you're Chelsea, you can pretty much start to focus on defending your Champions League title. 
right? Obviously, yes, top four. You want to be top four and, and what have you. But the Premier League title race is over for Chelsea. They can start focusing on Champions League. And Serginho Des can help you as far as your Champions League campaign goes. So if you're Tuchel, if you're Abramovich, if you're Chelsea and their technical staff, then Serginho Dest is about as good an option as you're going to find in the winter to fill the void that you have now in terms of wingback options. So hopefully it happens. I would love to see Serginho Dest at Chelsea. I think it's a it's a very strong team. Obviously, he'd be paired there with with Christian Pulisic, who is not leaving. My, you know, I know there's been talk about his future at Chelsea and while maybe in the summer there could be, you know, things could change in the summer. And if Chelsea decides to try to go after one of the big ticket strikers and they need to, to raise some revenue or, or, or offer some players in part deal, uh, you know, when you talk about uh, Erling Haaland or Mbappe, I mean, Mbappe hasn't been linked to Chelsea, but that type of player, whether, you know, Vlahovic, not that, you know, Vlahovic has been linked to some of the other teams in the Premier League. But if you're Chelsea and if you're Tuchel and you don't see Pulisic part of your future, he... You can you can sell Pulisic for you know a pretty good chunk of change on the market. Although I personally get the sense that Tuchel rates Pulisic more than people seem to think, and I know there's been times when the the playing time hasn't been consistent, the roles haven't been consistent in terms of how Tuchel uses Pulisic. But I've always kind of seen that as look, he trusts he trusts. Christian Pulisic enough to put him in a variety of positions, whether it's wing back, whether it's as a false nine. Obviously, he can play wide, which is his you know main main role that he's played at Chelsea. So, for me, I think I think Tuchel likes having that. I think Tuchel likes the versatility that Pulisic brings. He likes that he knows how he, he knows his style. He knows his his philosophy as a, as a manager. So, and that means something. So for me, I think Pulisic sticking around. If you're Dest, you get Dest and Pulisic together on the same team. Potentially that helps uh, cultivate that relationship, that working relationship that they could potentially have. Playing on the same side of the field for the national team, potentially. I know Pulisic's played on the left wing. Dest is is more so playing on the right wing, especially now with Anthony Robinson establishing himself as the first choice left back. But still. If you're Greg Berhalter, you love that idea of Pulisic and Dest being teammates and and just strengthening the bonds that they have as two of the biggest stars in the U.S. men's national team setup. Now, uh, before we get into the tidal wave of Americans abroad moves over to Europe, uh, I did want to touch on real quick John Brooks, uh, his situation at Wolfsburg. He he was in a doghouse at one point. It did seem like you know what they're not interested. They're, maybe they won't sign him to a new deal. Maybe he will refuse to sign a new deal and and test the market in January. But it seems like at least lately that the reports are that negotiations are on again between Brooks and Wolfsburg, and Brooks is back in the lineup. At Wolfsburg, he's, he's obviously was on the bench for a while, but he is playing again. And you, you want to see how Brooks continues to play and if he will play his way back into the U.S. men's national team setup for the upcoming qualifiers. I've said all along, I think Brooks is going to get his, is going to make his way back into the men's uh, setup. It's not like we've seen the last of John Brooks. He'll be back there, but it is a little. It is promising that that he and Wolfsburg are back at the table and back negotiating and hopefully he can sign a deal and solidify his future there. I mean, obviously I'm sure some people would love to the idea of him potentially going to the premier league or, or, you know, testing himself somewhere else going on the market as a, as a free agent. Cause look, if he goes on a free, uh, a player of his quality, you know, he's going to find teams that are interested, but it does seem like now he and Wolfsburg are talking again. Hopefully it gets done and hopefully he continues to play and can be back part of the men's national team. 
Now, let's talk Americans abroad transfers, and there has been a wave of them, as we expected. We knew this. We said this in the fall. We, we knew this was coming, especially with MLS really embracing the idea of being a selling league and with more and more young players getting big opportunities to play consistently in MLS. And we've already seen the, the benefits of that in, in, re, in previous transfer windows with the you know, likes of Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie. This time around, we've seen the new wave, and Ricardo Pepe is leading it. Uh, after completing a reported $20 million move to Augsburg. Huge, huge move, by the way. When you talk $20 million, I mean, that 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 caught everybody by surprise, that price tag. I mean, I think, more, you know, you probably thought 12 to 15. There'll be some conspiracy theories as far as what all went into this, just because Augsburg has a, a minority owner, an American, who apparently reportedly funded this move. He basically... This, you know, said, look, we're going to get this guy. I'll pay it. I got the money. I'm, I'm a billionaire. I can afford this. And boom, Ricardo Pepe joins Augsburg after initially Wolfsburg. We just talked about John Brooks. Wolfsburg was in the picture and Wolfsburg was apparently the favorite to sign Pepe. And then Augsburg comes in Their Their uh, minority owner puts the money up and boom, Ricardo Pepe's heading to Augsburg, a team that's in a relegation fight in the Bundesliga. We know how that can be. Right. We know that that's a challenge. We know sometimes it can be difficult. We know he's joining a team that has struggled to score. So as a striker, it can be a tricky situation because he could be heading into a, uh, a, a situation where he's not going to get the chances that he needs to thrive. And hopefully it's the other way. Hopefully he takes advantage of chances that maybe other strikers aren't or haven't been finishing for Augsburg. Because obviously, when you, if you're going to spend that 20 million that Augsburg is spending, which, by the way, shattered their transfer record. Their record, I think, was like 11 million before the Pepe deal. If you're spending that kind of money, it's because you see him being the one to help save you from relegation. And $20 million is a price worth paying to avoid relegation. So I, I see the deal there. And the reason I mentioned the conspiracy thing is because, look, Augsburg's minority owner, in like a matter of days after the Pepe deal, magically is part of the group that buys Real Salt Lake at MLS. So a conspiracy theory could point to that and say, oh, you know what? MLS wanted to sell Pepe. They wanted to pump up the number because MLS loves, loves to pump up transfer figures of their players that they sell. And it's happened on more than one occasion where they put numbers out that aren't the accurate actual fees that are being paid for some of these players, but they give you nice round numbers that help the cause, that help inflate or increase or amplify or magnify the val the the public perception of value for MLS players. We've seen it before. So that's why you kind of look at it and say, well, the timing of this is a little fishy. But look, at the end of the day, Pepe is being brought in to do a job and hopefully he can do it. Hopefully he can get Augsburg uh, to avoid relegation and he can score some goals and keep his starting job with the men's national team. Now, of course, Pepe wasn't the only American striker to make a Eight-figure move to Europe. Daryl DK has joined West Brom, which I'll be in, on a transfer, full transfer. And uh, for those who haven't keep, kept, kept track, West Brom is in the league championship. They're a team with, with aspirations to gain promotion to the Premier League. And once again, much like Pepe is worth the money if you can avoid relegation, DK is definitely worth the money if he can help West Brom gain promotion to the Premier League, because as we all know, that is the golden ticket. And $10 million is a drop in the bucket if it gets you that Premier League money. And it's a perfect move for DK, not only because West Brom is a strong team in the league championship, but also because their manager is the same manager that he played for when he went on loan last year in the league championship. And he did great. He did great at Barnsley. 
And so he's played in that league before. I think he's going to do great. I think he's going to be perfect for West Brom. And I think he's really going to help them uh, make that push to uh, to gain promotion. And if you're DK you, and if you're DK's people, you, you, you love the setup. You love the situation. You couldn't you couldn't ask for more. You've played in this league. You you've played for this manager. So everything is there for him to succeed. And I think he's going to do great. Another move that we definitely have to touch on. James Sands has joined Rangers, Glasgow Rangers, the Scottish Giants on a uh, 18, I believe it's 18 month loan with an option to buy. I mean, basically, they're going to buy him as long as he's, you know, not a flop. But and and look, James Sands is an excellent player. I don't think any I don't think many people are worried about him flopping. I think if anything, he's going to flourish at Rangers, and he's going to go play for uh, Giovanni Van Brockhorst, who almost was NYCFC manager at one point. For those who remember, he was in the mix for the NYCFC job at one point. And, and also the little trivia there is Giov- Giovanni Van Brockhorst was the former teammate of Claudio Reyna, who was the former NYCFC sporting director. And Giovanni Van Brockhorst is who Claudio Reyna named Gio Reyna after. So a little uh, interesting factoids there. And, and, the, and the best kind of news recently is the fact that Gio Reyna and Borussia Dortmund are going to play Rangers in Europa League. And that, I mean, talk about the coincidences there. You get Giovanni Van, Van Bronckhorst facing his namesake. You get Gio Reyna facing potentially James Sands, his former uh teammate in the nycfc youth rank so that's going to be can't miss for sure europa league which is yes on paramount plus uh which is part of the the cbs sports uh group there that i work uh where i work and we're, we're definitely going to be doing some some good coverage on that uh for sure uh but james sands that move I, I like that move james sands i think is an excellent player just with the, the technical skill that he has the versatility that he has i know some people will say well why couldn't he go to a better league and i, I get that I totally get that, but I think as a as a step from MLS into Europe, you you could do a lot worse than Rangers. Rangers is a you know champion contender on a regular basis. At Rangers, we're talking Champions League participation, Europa League. They're consistent European competitors, so that is an excellent first step. And if he does well there, it definitely sets him up to make the jump with, you know to the Premier League or one of the bigger leagues in Europe for sure. So I think for me, I love that move for him. Now, in terms of moves that haven't been completed yet but are in the works, Cole Bassett is reportedly uh, lining up a move to Feyenoord in uh, in the Dutch league. That's an excellent club in in the Dutch league in the Netherlands. And Bassett, as we know, uh, last summer was the target of some transfer interest in Europe, and he he obviously held off on that move and, and finished out a very good season with the Colorado Rapids. And now he he goes on and makes his debut with the men's national team, scores a goal in his debut, dream debut for him, and uh, I believe he's actually in camp right now with the men's national team but there's this looming transfer and he should be another player who makes the move away from mls and away from the colorado rapids i think he's an excellent player and he could definitely thrive he's young i mean what is he still 20 2021 so he's at that age where he still has so much room to grow and a club like Feyenoord could be an excellent uh, spot for him to continue to develop that deal's not done yet but it's reportedly in the works and reportedly pretty close so we'll see how that goes once it gets done we'll definitely discuss that in more detail and another move Brian Reynolds is uh you know his time at Roma has not been the best in terms of getting playing time so they are lining up a move for him in terms of a loan and Anderlecht has has emerged as the front runner for his services no deal yet my understanding is that, that there's, the deal's not done but it's definitely in the works and it's uh it's apparently not close but the you know it's getting there it's getting there and that, i think that's a great 
opportunity for him. The Belgian league is a, is a good league and you're seeing more and more Americans make that move over to the Belgian league. And it, it's interesting because this current wave now, when you talk about Sam Vines, Mark McKenzie, Kyle Duncan, uh, more recently here in January, you're seeing this wave now. And uh, one of the people who actually was part of the wave prior to that, or who, who got to Belgium before this current wave is none other than our guest on this episode of the SBI show, James Sands, and the former DC United homegrown player, former U.S. under-20 men's national team midfielder, and a player who has now spent the past two seasons uh, starting and playing regularly in Belgium and playing in Europe and, and really continuing to develop. And we're lucky enough to have him on to discuss a variety of topics, including potentially his return to MLS. And uh, we're lucky enough to have him joining us from Belgium and joining us all the way from, I believe it's pronounced St. Troyden, uh, American midfielder, Chris Durkin. Chris, welcome to the SBI show. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And definitely uh, thank you for taking the time. You've been over there for a while now. Do, how long did it take you to, to kind of settle in and, and no longer feel like a, like a stranger? Do you feel, do you feel, does it feel more like home now that you've, you've had the time over there? Yeah, it's been nice. Um, you know, obviously the first six months uh, were a bit interesting. Um, and just really, you know, while I was on loan here, you know, it felt like, you know, maybe one foot in, one foot out, just because I didn't know if this was my permanent, permanent place um, for the time being. And, you know, once I really, you know, signed my contract here, um, to permanently stay, um, in St. Troyden, um, you know, then I really felt like this was, you know, you know, really my club and, um, you know, my home for now. And, you know, I've had my family over here, which has been really nice. And obviously with COVID and all that, it's been a little more difficult, but, uh, you know, everybody's been really accepting of me here and, um, it's been a good adapting process, um, so far. How much do you think it helped you that you, you already had some time in, under your belt there before the pandemic started? Because, you know, obviously some people who yeah. if they had to try to adapt in that setting, you might, you know, you don't know your way around. At least you had some time. How much do you think that helped you? Yeah, that definitely helped a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's always difficult, you know, no matter what. Um, and, you know, everybody was going through the same thing um, as me, just like anybody else, you know, everywhere. So we're all struggling through it together. But, you know, um, I had a good familiarity with the um, the city and, um, the understanding of it. And, uh, you know, it's a smaller town, you know, you get really get to focus on just your football here. Um, but it's a nice, you know, central point around Europe to go see other things. Um, so yeah, just being, you know, acquainted and accustomed to everything around here has definitely helped, you know, uh, be more comfortable. Now, how do you, how do you feel like your game has evolved for those who haven't had a chance to kind of watch you play over there? Obviously you left DC, uh, DC United, uh, you last played for them in 2019 and, uh, it's been a couple of years now. You've gotten a ton of games under your belt. H how do you feel like you've evolved and h how are you different now than say the 2019, 2018 Chris Durkin? Yeah, I'd say I've, um, undergone a lot of changes. Um, you know, f first and foremost, um, you know, the, the level of importance in each game, you know, I'm not, you know, in a team like Club Rouge or, um, you know, Antwerp where, you know, they're at the top of the table sitting easy, uh, winning a lot of games, you know, I've had, we've had to fight and grind for every game uh, that I've been here and, you know, battling with the relegation zone of like last year and stuff, you know, every game is so important. And I've really found that, um, in my play style now is, you know, to win no matter what, you know, a real winner's mentality has been developed. Uh, into, into myself, um, you know, just uh, like here, for example, the amount of meters that are, are yards or whatever you call it are uh, that are running a game is is crazy. And, you know, my uh, aerobic capacity has increased even more over here. 
Um, and also my, you know, attacking ability, being able to turn in tight spaces, um, and just, you know, being lighter on my feet, you know, working on the speed of my game and getting faster. I think all that has gotten better. And, um, yeah, I've made some really big steps in playing so many minutes in a, um, first division, um, you know, uh, first division league in Europe, uh, has done, done me really well, I think. And, um, I've been really happy with the move so far in terms of my development. Now, as far as positionally goes, uh, I know you've settled in now and you're, you're playing, I, I want to say, almost exclusively in, in central midfield. But you played early on, you played a few different spots. How, 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 how comfortable are you now? How much is it helping you to kind of focus in on one position? We've I've, I've bounced around in def, definitely different places, such as, you know, center back. I played at right wing back, actually, a couple of games here in Belgium. Um, at the eight, at the six. And, you know, I've been pr- pr- predominantly a, a six my whole life um, and still what I kind of view myself more as. Um, but I've been playing a lot more as the eight, you know, and that's definitely more of the box to box, you know, trying to influence the game more on the ball um, and the and the attacking side and creating chances and, you know, finding those pockets in the middle um, to get on the half turn, you know, the really difficult areas where it's tight space. Um, all that has really, you know, helped, you uh, helped me in my uh, understanding of, of just the midfield role and all of those positions. Um, and just having that, you know, understanding and that knowledge um, just helps gain more and more experience. And that's what all these minutes have been about is just experience. And I'm a much more experienced player. And, um, you know, that's all you want from, uh, you know, developing at a young age and, you know, progressing on in your career. I have a feeling some people might be surprised to hear that you're still only 21. You've been you've been a pro for so long. They might think you're like 24, 25 years old, but uh, <laughs> you're still you're still pretty young. You're still pretty young. Uh, I, when I look at the makeup of the team, and we talking about we talked about this before we started. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the lineup of the last game you played in, and you know you have four Japanese teammates there. What what what? How does it help you, or how, how does it help you kind of? I don't know, see the game or, or develop your game when, when you play with, with so, so many different types of players, styles of players. Uh, h- how do you feel like you see the game differently now than maybe you saw it when you were just, when, when you were playing in America with mostly American teammates? Yeah, it's definitely a big difference. You know, I feel like, especially with this team um, in Belgium, uh, it's like a melting pot, melting pot of a lot of different cultures and um, understandings of the games tactically, you know, uh, physically, mentally, um, on the ball everything has been, you know, thrown at me and, you know, understanding everybody's point of view. And, you know, it's been a difficult sometimes with a language barrier. Um, but, you know, the, the language of soccer, of football always speaks. And, um, you know, I've definitely learned a lot from, you know, like the Japanese, like you were just talking about how, you know, they're very, uh, you know, structured and very disciplined um, and work really hard, very respectful. And, you know, African players, uh, you know, very, you know, gritty, um, hard in the tackle, um, really good on the ball, you know, learning from so many players and um, cultures. That's really been a great experience just to gather that information. And, you know, for me even too, to, to bring what I know from, you know, the MLS um, and, you know, help share it with them and being as American. So, you know, learning from so many different people and, you know, just watching in the locker room on the pitch, everything you know, has just helped fine tune my game or what I like, what I don't and to help me be, become a more well-rounded player. And when you, when you got to Belgium, when you, your first season, when you played there, uh, what, who were the, who were the other Americans playing at the time in Belgium? Were you, were you, was anyone else there? I'm trying, this is like three years ago. Yeah. Now, I'm trying to remember. I think it was, um, Ethan Horvath that's, was here. That's right. 
Um, I think that was the only person that was only American that was here, or maybe um, Brandon Heinz Ike okay, was here right. while I was here. Uh, and I think that was it. Well, um, so the reason I ask is obviously now it's becoming the wave for all the uh, all these Americans yeah. starting to, to head over there or a- American slash MLS players. Now you have Tejon Buchanan, the Canadians heading over there. Sam Vines is there now. Um, yeah. Mark McKenzie, obviously. So, and Kyle Duncan now is heading there in January as well. Yeah. So what, what do you get the phone calls from these guys uh, before they make the moves? Or are you, are you kind of like the welcoming committee for, for since you, you have the most time in in Belgium? Like, what do you think about that? So many Americans making that jump. Yeah, I guess I'm sort of a pioneer, I would say. But uh, no, the, um, I've talked to um, Ethan a little bit after games and, um, you know, me and Sam Bynes uh, had uh, talked a couple times back and forth you know he would you know ask me about the league and stuff like that and just give my feedback um but no i think it's a great move for you know anybody coming to to belgium it's you know i think a good um step um you know it's a good like i think tier to you know making the next jump to an even higher level um like the bundesliga or something like that it's a great stepping stone um for development for young players um and, you know you see, you see on teams in every team in belgium you know there's young players playing um and getting that experience and you know the league can definitely not be underestimated it's it's a very difficult league in my opinion uh very physical a lot of really technical and talented players um so i think it's a great stepping stone and you know it's been perfect for what i wanted it to be um and I, i know it will be for all these other guys like mark and sam and these guys Nice. nice. If, we're, if we're talking American pioneers in Belgium, maybe there's someone that came before him, but I got to give Gucci Onyewu some props there because he obviously, he was at Standard Liège and he won at least, yeah. he won at least one. Maybe Sasha. Sa- well, yeah, but, Sa- Sasha, I don't know if he came after or around the same time, but yeah, those are two big names right there, obviously, that had, yeah, had a lot of true. success over there. And it's great to see uh, so many more uh, taking that opportunity to use that as a, as a springboard, as you, as you mentioned. And uh, speaking about that, I mean, obviously you're, you're there and, you know, you're not, you're not at one of the, you know, like whether it's a, Blue, a Bruges or under like the, the teams that kind of some people, more people might know about, but the clubs yeah. in Europe know about all the teams in Belgium and you've, your name starting to, has started to sprinkle around in terms of the rumor mill. And you know how that goes, especially in Europe, the transfer rumor mill never stops churning out uh, connections and links. And what do you think when you, when you hear those, those connections? I mean, I, I, I saw you link to Serie A teams at different points. Yeah, I think, um, it's all about, you know, the right fit and, you know, just keeping a level head. Um, I know that, you know, these minutes um, and, you know, this game time and me proving myself uh, will speak for itself. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the work that I've put in over here so far and the portfolio that I've made. And um, I think, you know, being a young player um, in a league like this and having so much minutes um, is, you know, a really positive thing. And, um, you know, whether I'm connected or not with, you know, rumors and stuff like that, you know, obviously it's, you know, I'm proud of that. And, you know, eventually I do want to make the jump to, to um, whatever I view as, as the, the best next step for me um, and my development. Um, because like you said, I'm still only 21. So, um, you know, still just always looking for the right fit. And so far St. Jordan has been the right fit for me. And, you know, we're always, you know, me and my agent, we're always talking together to see what's the, uh, what's the best fit for myself? So yeah, it's all really positive stuff. Now, when I when I t- take you back to your time in MLS, I mean, I remember talking to you back then, and it, th- there were some frustrations at time with with just wanting to get more playing time, and and not feeling like there was that opportunity there. 
at DC United, and I just find it interesting that now now they play younger players. Now now it seems like more of a, a common yeah. thing. But how how tough was that for you back then when you remember just feeling like you were ready and the and then in DC being a team that probably should have played young players a bit more than he did then. How tough was that for you? Just kind of biding your time. Yeah, it was difficult, and um, you know I remember. Um, I just recently was looking at, you know, something that I said, you know, a while back and it was along the likes of, you know, as a young player and sometimes as a younger player, you have to be told when to slow down a bit in your development. And that was just something that I didn't want to hear. You know, I wanted all the, I wanted to play every game and, you know, gather as much um, minutes as possible and experience and be on the field. And it was hard for me to, uh, hard for people to tell me to slow down in that process. Um, but, you know, looking back on it, it was just another, you know, learning experience for me. And, you know, I'm glad to see, you know, younger guys playing now and doing well. Um, that's really positive. And just overall MLS as a whole, you know, watching the level, you know, continue to rise every, every year, you know, uh, new stadiums being built, uh, everything looks, you know, really, really, um, promising. And, um, you know, just seeing, like you said, now Tejon uh, getting signed, you know, big clubs are looking and signing um, players for big money. So the MLS is turning into an, a nice little factory now for young players going to higher leagues now as well. So, you know, I think the MLS is taking on a great trajectory. The, the, the frustrations for young players in MLS is definitely not a new thing. I, I, I'll date myself a little here and let you know how old I am. I remember covering a 20-year-old Tim Howard who uh, at one point with the Metro Stars back in, I want to say 2000, I remember him coming out and just basically complaining to the media like, I need to play more. And it was at the time you're like thinking to yourself as a reporter, I'm like, man, this is, he's going to get in trouble for saying this. But you know what? He was young. He was frustrated. He felt like he needed to play. And I mean, hey, Tim Howard ended up being Tim Howard. So I think he, he, uh, he had a bit of a point there that it was probably time to give him some playing time. So uh, I'll give you a little credit because you never you never just came right out and started blasting D.C. as much as I'm sure maybe at certain points you, you were ready to or, or maybe you wanted to to just kind of say, hey, what's going on? Why am I not playing? Because I, I know a lot of people felt you were ready to play back then. Yeah, you know, it's I think for me personally, you know, I don't think I would have gotten away with going into the media and <laughs> being uh, all crazy about it. Just, off of, you know, the type of guy, you know, I carry myself as. Um, you know, I try to act professional about it and, you know, um, I had nothing against the team, you know, um, and the, at the end of the, at the end of the day, we both found, you know, something that benefited both of us, you know, and DC United, um, you know, getting a good compensation for, um, a transfer fee for me to go to St. Troy and then me playing in, in, um, a top league in Belgium. Um, so, you know, it all worked out at the end of the day and, um, you know, I learned a lot and, uh, Yeah. Hopefully I can, you know, look at Tim Howard and have something like him, but uh, we'll see. Now, now obviously you're, you're in, the, in the middle of your season there. So look, you don't, you can't really look too far ahead, but just thinking big picture, what, what, what do you feel like would be kind of the next step for you? Like what, 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 what feels like would be a natural kind of move for you next? Yeah, it's just wherever I see, you know, it being the highest level for, for myself and, you know, continuing to take myself forward within the game. You know, I want to help, um, put myself on a, a nice pedestal t- to hopefully be selected for the um, men's national team. You know, I, um, I feel like I've been kind of working quietly over here um, in Belgium, you know, not a lot of, you know, rumors around my name. And that's kind of what I want right now is to, you know, work under the radar and, you know, continue to, to work on my game and my craft and then hopefully show up and, you know, surprise everybody. Um, I think I have that within myself. And, you know, I think, um, St. Troy has been, you know, really there for me and helped pro- propelling my game. And I think, you know, if there were another opportunity to arise, 
it would all have to make sense for everybody. Um, but that would then again, continue the progression of, you know, helping myself and, you know, uh, making myself look, look the best, um, for, for the national team and, you know, continuing to develop. Now, when you mentioned the national team, and it's interesting how young the team has gotten and how uh, Greg, Greg Berhalter has not been shy about giving young players opportunities. And when you look at the team now, you see a lot of your former uh, teammates. There are a lot of former U-20 teammates. I still remember that under-20 World Cup uh, team that you guys had that was so good. And so many of those players are now in the mix there. When you talk Serginho Dest uh, and Chris Richards, uh, just to name two, Tim Weah, obviously, who's, who just was great in the November window. When you look at, at those guys, your generation, your U-20 group, what does that what does that do for you when you see them breaking through and, and, and grabbing their positions with the senior team? What was that what does that do for you when you kind of watch that? Yeah, you know, I'm proud for them, obviously, but it also motivates myself even more because, you know, I was just with them um, only, you know, two, two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago. So, you know, I know um, I feel like I'm right there with them. Um, you know, I believe in my ability and in myself. Um, and, you know, even guys like Brendan Aronson, who, you know, weren't even new with the U20 team, you know, guys like that um, should be, you know, an example for myself even, you know, because, you know, you can come in and out of the national team and still, you know, find your way. And I think Brendan has a great example of that. So, you know, I'm especially motivated to, you know, to try and work back and get into it. Um, but I also am realistic with myself and know that I need to, you know, put even more good games together and even, you know, more, um, things to, to be noticed with. So, um, I'm really, um, yeah, looking forward to, to the future and what, what is, uh, to, to offer. And, um, yeah, I'm just really excited for, for what's to come. Now, now I know Greg Berhalter prides himself on trying to keep in touch with as many people as possible, reaching out to as many people as possible. Have you, have you had contact with him? Has he reached out? Has there been any communications between you and Greg Berhalter? Uh, no, there is, there's been no communication, um, between me and him and, um, I haven't really expected any communication either. Um, it's just been, yeah, no, no real communication. Right. You're so. just, just going to keep playing. And, and so I have to ask, I mean, you watch the games, right? You watch all the, you imagine as many as you can, given the time difference and whatnot. But yeah, the time difference is hard, but yeah, I try to. So, so, when, so as you've watched this team, I mean, you've got probably, you probably have a good sense for, for the style of play, the, the roles, um, the positions. When you look at that team, when you look at that style, how, how do you feel like you fit into there? Cause I mean, I know obviously when you talk defensive midfield, Tyler Adams is the guy, everyone talks about, he's like the guy, he's the number one guy, but it's not like the, the player pool has you know a dozen established number sixes that are all locked in i mean it's pretty wide open after the yeah. pretty much after tyler adams so do you see that as a as an opportunity there do you see like you know i can i can jump in there i can climb that is that is that kind of the target for you yeah and i'll be the first to say i really admire tyler adams game um you know i think he's a really um quality player at a you know a very good team um and his game is you know is very good and he's gotten better and better each year and i definitely think i can you know suit a role behind him and you know pushing for that pushing for that spot um you know i think i bring a lot of you know the american identity of you know a guy who's you know in your face on the field works hard for the team does what's needed um and i think that's exactly what Concacaf is as well and you know being over here in belgium and you know fighting the the tough games the games where you know the fans are shouting and it's getting ugly you know, trying to find a result to stay in the first division. It's kind of exactly what it's like in CONCACAF. So, you know, all this experience is helping me, um, you know, in any situation. Um, and, um, yeah, I think, you know, I can suit that role. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, I'll be given the chance soon. 
Nice. Now, now I'm going to take you back a bit, and I'm going to I'm going to go a little deep here because I I, I still remember this under, at the under twenty World Cup. Uh, you you really had a lot of heavy lifting to do in the midfield, where you know there were obviously a lot of attacking players on that team, uh, and you really had to had to kind of do a lot of the dirty work. And it was it wasn't an ideal situation to showcase you as a player. And the reason I bring it up is because I know for a fact that there are a good number of U.S. fans who maybe watched that under twenty World Cup and watched you in it and thought, oh, well, this guy is struggling or this guy maybe, well, you know, it, what can he or cannot do? And it wasn't a, it wasn't an easy role. Do you remember that? And I mean, what, what did you think about that experience? I mean, obviously it was still a great experience. You guys beat France, you get to the quarterfinals, but how tough was that for you? Cause I mean, you were not in an easy position there. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely not easy. And, um, you know, I know there was a lot of high expectations within our team and, you know, I, I wouldn't go out and say that I had the best best uh world cup but i wouldn't go out and say that it was a fail by any means um you know i think when you look at the totality of my games you know i thought i played um well in supporting my team and trying to do whatever i could to help win and you know we were a bit unlucky at times um and you know people have to realize that it's it's a world cup think these games are not don't go like how um everybody thinks they're gonna go you know it's um it's a world cup and these games are you know uh you know, you fight to, to the death, hopefully, you know, to, to win and to try and win the World Cup. That's everybody's dream. And, you know, that's exactly what, you know, I tried to do. And, you know, at times they made mistakes, but, you know, these are youth World Cups and, you know, these are amazing learning experiences for everybody. And I learned so much from from that World Cup and the U-17 World Cup. And, you know, I still keep those memories fond to me today. Um, and, you know, being able to learn from that, that moment um, was great for my development and, um you know, something I still apply to my game today. And, you know, I've gotten better in each, each part of, of, of the, um, the, the ways that I was, was struggling in the 20 world cup I've improved in. And I said, I was going to do that. Um, so, um, I think it was definitely just a great, um, you know, look in the mirror for myself and where my game is compared to, to the best players around the world. Um, and it was just a big help. Right. Right. And, and it, it's, it, it is interesting because obviously, as you mentioned, like f- fans perceptions of, of youth World Cups are, are always a little skewed. It's like you just see the name of the country and you think, OK, well, you should run over them or this team has you will have no chance against. And meanwhile, you lose to the team they expect you to be and then you beat the team they expect you to lose to. Uh, and also, I, I still remember that first game. Uh, the, was it the Ukraine that you, you lost in the opening match that they ended up going on to? Yeah. They ended up going on and winning the entire under 20 World Cup. And and, yeah, exactly. and one thing I remember about that game is Serginho Dest, you know, he get, gets beat on the on the goal, on the winning goal in that game. And and some fans were ready to throw him out, throw him out. Like, that's it. He's garbage. Get him yeah. out. Start, start somebody else. And it's like, it's one game. He doesn't, he doesn't all of a sudden, he's not all of a sudden terrible because he, you know, gets beat on one play by uh, the team that ends up winning it. So it's a, it's just funny how that always, how, how that always goes and how perceptions are built and how, how people see, see certain things and put labels on players based on one game or, or one tournament. But uh, it's been definitely great to see you continue to, to develop that. Uh, and I have to ask, obviously the world cup's a year from now and, and you still haven't, you know, you're not still in Greg Berhalter's plans, but when you think about 22, when you think about 26, how much do you allow yourself to think about that, about the national team, about that in your plan, in your life, in your career plan? Is that, how much is that motivation for you to, to get in there and, and, and one day get play, potentially play in a, in a senior world cup? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're a young American player, um, everybody's radar is on the 2026 world cup. I mean, that's a dream to play a world cup in your home country. And, you know, that's definitely a big motivator for me. I would say more than, you know, 
a lot of a lot of other things. Um, you know, individually being able to represent your country. You know, I've had you know the the honor to do that at the U seventeen and U twenty World Cup, and you know, um, I definitely miss that feeling of representing your country and giving everything for that badge. And um, you know, I can definitely say if I was given that chance again, you know, um, it for sure you know would not be uh, taken lightly. And um, so that's definitely a big motivation for me. And you know, definitely continuing to find the best place for me to to hopefully put myself in that situation. Um, so. Uh, I'm really looking forward to, you know, the future and, you know, continuing to, to stay motivated on that path to, to hopefully uh, represent my, my country in whatever way possible at that, at that 2026 World Cup and hopefully support, you know, in any way, you know, either as a fan or, you know, pushing in as a 2022. Now, when I, t- I have to take you back all the way to the beginning, because I, thinking back on it now, it's kind of crazy uh, just to think. When you first started Richmond Kickers, you, you you come up through the youth ranks, but then you signed the pro deal and you were 15, right? You were 15 years old at the time when you, when you first signed your pro deal? 16. Oh, you were 16. Okay. So you're six, yeah. so you're 16 years old in a, in a, you know, pro locker room. What was that experience like? And, and how, when you look, when you think back on it now, do you realize like, I didn't know anything and I thought I knew way more than I did? Or uh, what do you remember about, you know, rookie, rookie Chris Durkin being in that Richmond Kickers locker room? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, just thinking back on that, I don't think about think back on that stuff that often. You know, just because you know you're so focused on the on the day to day as a professional, um, and you know what's right now. Um, but you know, looking back on it, it's just I've, I've been so so lucky and so grateful to to be in the situation I'm in, and you know to work, you know to put in the work as a young kid, and to have that work out and sign pro at my in the club that I used to, you know, go to when I was eight years old. Um, and, you know, just being in that locker room, you know, when I signed and, you know, being around guys I looked up to like Ben Olsen and Bill Hamid and, and all these guys, um, and just training day in, day out. Um, you know, being a soccer player, it's, you know, something, you know, that, you know, any young kid wants to be. And, uh, I'm just really proud of, you know, the steps that, you know, I've taken so far and, you know, the way my, my path has gone, it definitely hasn't been the easy path so far. Um, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs definitely. Um, but that's made me into the person, person that I am now. And I, I wouldn't, you know, change that for anything, you know, it hasn't been easy, but you know, it's definitely created, you know, layers on my skin and, you know, it's good. It's going to be pretty hard to, you know, take me down. So I'm just really proud of the career I've had so far. And I'm really, really looking forward to what's to come. So, so Chris, obviously, you know, you had your time in MLS when you were younger. Now here you are a couple of years later, you have so much experience under your belt. Uh, how much is MLS a possibility in terms of uh, coming back now? I know Europe is obviously the goal and staying in Europe, but there's definitely teams that I would think w- would be interested in you now. How, how much are you open to that idea? How, how, how interested would you be in coming to MLS, coming back to MLS? I think the next club, um, you know, in my path um, has to be something that, you know, makes sense for myself. And, um, you know, continuing to progress and, you know, in line with my goals of where I want to be within, you know, the national team and setting myself best um, for success, you know, in the long haul. You know, I want longevity within this sport. You know, I want to prioritize my happiness, um, continue to prioritize my development. And, you know, I look at the MLS and, um, you know, I see a, a league that, you know, is doing really well. You know, you know, the entire international market is looking at the MLS um, you know, with, you know, very focused eyes, um, and, you know, has really improved, I think, 
um, in everybody's eyes. And, you know, I've watched games and I think it's, um, you know, drastically improved year over year. And you see the level of player that they're bringing in. Um, so I think it's a really competitive league and it's definitely something that's interesting to me. Um, you know, I think I can be in an interesting proposition as well, being, you know, a young American, you know, ambitious, uh, you know, someone that, you know, understands the league already. And, you know, someone that's come to Europe and, you know, gotten, you know, over 60 games in Europe. So, you know, wherever that next step may be, if it's in Europe or the MLS, you know, first and foremost, I want to make sure it's the right fit. Right. For sure. And, and I'm sure, is there, is there a part of you that, that wants to kind of would like the idea of going back and showing that, Hey, I can start in this league and I can, I can be a, an impact player in MLS. Cause you know, as we, as we talked about before, you know, you didn't, you didn't get a chance to really kind of spread your wings and really get that, that steady run of time when you were younger. How much of that is you kind of wanted to show the people back home, like, Hey, look, I, this is where I am. This is how good I am now. Yeah. I definitely want to show, um, you know, everybody that this move has done a lot for, for my development and a lot um, to improve me as a player. Um, and, you know, I think last time I was playing in the MLS, um, you know, there were sprinkles of, of minutes and I, you know, I was starting to heat up and, you know, find a good, uh, consistency. And then, you know, I, I would be on the bench again and have to re- restart the whole feeling process again. So, you know, I, I want that good run of, you know, um, 20, 30 games, in the MLS to really show everybody, um, you know, if that chance were to occur. Um, and yeah, I think I have a lot to prove and a lot to, to, to show. Um, I think, you know, I'm not necessarily a proven player and, you know, I want to, to prove everybody, you know, I don't think a lot of people have necessarily been watching me in Belgium. And I know that if I come back, um, if I were to come back to the MLS, um, you know, a lot of eyes would be on me as to see, you know, how my development has, you know, progressed and I'm ready for that challenge. Um, and I'm also ready for that challenge in Europe too, to the next step. So, um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what, what happens. The one thing that's changed with, as far as MLS goes from when you left is that the league as a whole is much more open or teams in the league are much more open to, to moving players, to, to selling players, especially selling young players. You know, when, when you left, you were, you were kind of the, the anomaly almost like there weren't, there's, there still hadn't, there wasn't, it wasn't a normal thing for, for young players to, to be able to leave. Now it seems like every time you turn around, someone else is making a move. Does that make it a little more of a enticing proposition for you if you decide to come back in knowing that it's not like you come to MLS and it's a one-way trip you'll never make it back to Europe is that is that a little more comforting and opens that idea up for you a little bit yeah I think you can definitely look look at it that way um you know if I were to return back to the MLS um you know it's definitely like you said not a one-way trip you know you see um the um the t- where players are ending up, you know, in, you know, high, high leagues and, um, and really, you know, competitive teams within Europe. Um, and, you know, people are really valuing, um, you know, MLS players and, you know, that's awesome to see, you know, I just remember when, you know, negotiating with DC United about leaving to come to uh, Belgium, you know, it was definitely, you know, you know, they'd done it with Andy Nahar and, you know, Bill Hamid a little bit, but, you know, they didn't have that experience, but now, you know, I see MLS clubs everywhere having experience negotiating with top clubs in Europe. Um, and, you know, that's definitely um, something that is even more assuring as well. So, um, you know, I, I still have ambitions here in Europe. And um, if it's if that means to come back to go even higher, you know, so be it. But, um, yeah, I think it's definitely an interesting proposition as well. Well, well obviously, you start the season uh, on Saturday. 
and uh, right off the bat, you know, a nice easy game against Club Brugge. Club Brugge. What? What? Uh, how, how, how? It's been a while, like with this winter break. Like how? How, how much are you looking forward to that? And obviously, it's a tough battle for you guys. You're in the relegation fight. Um, what's that like? Just kind of dealing with that. What kind of different kind of pressure is that? Knowing that you know you're fighting for survival. Yeah, it's it's always really stressful. Um, you know, in the in the lower half of the uh, of the table. But also, you can look at the entire table and see it's pretty close. Um, and you know, a, two wins really puts us, you know, within almost the the top six. So it's um, it's really competitive. And you know, I'm really looking forward to get to getting back onto the field and playing, um, especially against the top team in the start of the um, of the of, of the second half of the season. Really. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, the team worked really hard. Um, you know, now all the Belgian teams are battling, you know, their own individual COVID, um, cases and stuff like that. So luckily we're, we're safe and, and ready to go forward for, for tomorrow. And yeah, I'm really excited. Right. And, uh, you, you get to uh, say hello to another MLS alum, alum there in, uh, Tejan Buchanan. I think, uh, I'm not sure if he's going to dress or if he's ready to go yet for Blue Club Bruges, but he's coming on board. And, uh, now there's reports of, of Brian Reynolds, uh, joining potentially Anderlecht on loan. So as we talked about before, the, the, the invasion of American slash MLS players in full swing in, in Belgium and, uh, who knows? Maybe we will see you back stateside in, in the U.S. And uh, if we do that, I think that'd be great. And we'll obviously have to have you on again to talk about that if and when you make the trip back. But definitely good luck the, the rest of this season. And uh, if you do stay at the St. Jordan, hopefully you can you can help those help them stay up. And uh, definitely good luck with everything. And as always, definitely appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you a lot. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. I mean, that's Chris Durkin, and obviously we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on what happens with him in this in this transfer window. Obviously, St. Troyden is in a relegation fight, uh, and the question is going to be, what do they do? Or do they keep Chris Durkin? Do they sell Chris Durkin? Do they loan Chris Durkin? Um, there's definitely interest in MLS, from my understanding. You have, I think you have multiple teams that could absolutely use his services, especially with how he has continued to play and develop over in Belgium. I think he would fit, step right into to multiple teams in MLS and, and, and contribute. So we'll see if a deal happens or if you have uh, another team in Europe potentially come in for him. I think, I think if you're asking me what well, my money's on, my money's on him making a move this winter. Uh, and hopefully if, if he does make a move, we'll get him on again and uh, see, see what's up, up with him. But it was definitely great to have him on here. And uh, he's part of that large and growing contingent of Americans in Europe. And you know what? If he decides to come back to MLS, I know, as I said you know, in our interview, it's a little different now because it's not the one way you're locked into MLS thing that it used to be. It's pretty clear MLS teams are more open to selling players and moving players on to Europe. So you don't have to worry as much about getting locked in to MLS if you make the move back at this age. And you know what? He could actually be a bit of a trailblazer from that standpoint of being an American who goes to Europe from MLS, puts some years in, and then comes back to MLS, puts some years in, and still is young enough. I mean, he's twenty. What is he? Twenty one now. If he if he goes to ML, if he goes to MLS and plays a year or two, he's still twenty three and could go right back to Europe. So let's keep an eye out on that. And uh, it was definitely great to have him on. And uh, some of the quick notes here, some nuggets uh, in terms of Americans abroad. I wanted to touch on Weston McKinney scored a goal in the Italian Supercoppa. For Juventus, unfortunately, Juventus could not hold on to that early lead, and they did lose to Inter Milan on a last-second goal from Alexis Sanchez. Great, great final. Unfortunately for McKinney, he didn't win and didn't add another winner's medal, but he did score a goal in a cup final. He might have been the first American to score in a Super Cup uh, final. Um, 
and he did join a, a pretty impressive list of Americans who have scored in European fi- uh, cup finals of different varieties. You, you've had quite a few over the years, whether, you know, Carlos Bocanegra, Josie Altidore. Uh, it's a pretty interesting list that I was, I was starting to compile of, of Americans who've scored goals in cup finals. Uh, and it's more than you would think. Mixed Desgrude has scored in, in a cup final over in Europe. Yeah, I'm going to put that list together and put it out at some point. But uh, yeah, no, Weston McKinney is playing out. His, his form has been unbelievable for Juventus. He's been one of the few bright spots for Juventus. And I think that momentum, if you're a U.S. fan, you love to see him in the form that he's in heading towards World Cup qualifying because you're absolutely going to need him at his best to try to lock up nine points if you can. Seven points would be good too, uh, but at least six points. Six points is the minimum. If you're the U.S. men's national team in upcoming World Cup qualifying, six points is the absolute minimum that you get in that you that you can allow yourself to get. If you get seven, you're feeling pretty good. If you get nine, you're in heaven because then that you're right on the doorstep there to qualify for the World Cup. It's not going to be easy, but... You like their chances. And actually, you like the U.S.'s chances of getting nine points a little bit more now after the recent news, unfortunately, for Canada and unfortunately just for the game as a whole. Alfonso Davies will miss the upcoming CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers for Canada because of uh, myocarditis. He has inflammation of his heart, uh, which has been caused by a recent bout with COVID. And you've heard this more and more now about athletes and people in general who have contracted COVID and have had myocarditis, uh, heart inflammation. And the issue with with heart inflammation is obviously once you're talking about the heart and you're talking about inflammation of the heart, it exposes you to potentially, you know, heart attack or, or some serious potential issues. And obviously, if you're an athlete, you're playing at a high level, you're really pushing yourself, pushing your heart, you cannot afford to have a myocarditis. And so that's why now Alfonso Davies will be rested. He will not be playing for Bayern or for Canada for a good while now until he is back to 100%. And I know some U.S. fans are going to be like, oh, no, great. This Yahoo, this is amazing. This is helping our chances. I get that. But I mean, I think I speak for some U.S. fans who probably will say, you know what? I want Canada at their best. I want them at their best. I want us at our best. See who's the better team. If we beat them, then we show we are the best team in CONCACAF. And that's what you want, right? You want to you want to remove all doubt that you are the real kings of CONCACAF, that you are the team. And obviously, Davies not being there, that kind of takes that off the table. Um, but look, you're still going to take the points if you get them. If you get them in Hamilton when they go up there on January 30th, you're still going to be happy to get those points and seal, hopefully, that World Cup qualifying spot, although I don't think even with the three wins, I don't know if I don't think they necessarily lock it up yet, but it definitely puts them on the doorstep. And if they get all nine points, I mean, you got to think they're they're feeling pretty good about qualifying for Qatar. Now we're going to get into MLS here. There's so much to get into. This is going to be a speed round portion of this of this uh, show. Uh, just because I don't want the show to go too long. I, I definitely want to get it out. But there's so much that I wanted to touch on. Uh, moves galore in MLS, starting with the head coaching hires. Steve Chirondolo to LAFC. I think we all saw that one coming. When LAFC hired Chirondolo to, to run the Las Vegas Lights, you kind of knew that John Thornton had really respected Chirondolo. Chirondolo was in the running for the Toronto FC job when Chris Armas was hired. And when Bob Bradley left, Chirondolo was just kind of the perfect fit, even though some people might look at that Las Vegas Lights record and say, oh, he didn't even win with the Lights. Why would he be the LFC coach? Look, his role and his job for the Las Vegas Lights wasn't necessarily about wins and losses. It was about developing players in uh, in that LAFC development setup and structure. So he had that 
that task. So it's not really fair to look at the wins and losses in that and the record that he had in USL as some measure of what he would be as a coach. I mean, I think it's pretty clear what the mandate was for him. Now, obviously, he steps into the big role. Big shoes to fill with Bob Bradley moving on to Toronto. But I like, look, I like Trundle's chances. I had a, had a good chance to talk to him back in, right uh, before the pandemic, actually, in November of 2019, when I made a trip out to Germany and uh, had a chance to sit down with him and, and talk in, in detail about his coaching philosophies and, and you know, obviously him wanting to be a head coach. And I, I think he's a very intelligent guy. We all know he was an amazing player for the men's national team, but he is, he, he is absolutely uh, a soccer mind. Uh, we all know about the success he had in Europe, but he is someone who I think can, with his experience as a player, his experiences over in Europe, uh, I think he could absolutely thrive as a manager. And I think that's going to be a great opportunity for him. LAFC, they're making moves too. I mean, they, you know, Kellen Acosta just uh, traded to LAFC. Ilya Sanchez already, if you're Steve Trunlo and you can bring in an Ilya Sanchez and Kellen Acosta and add them to an already talented team, I mean, LAFC is going to be a handful this year. No question about it. And I think Toronto could absolutely do a good job there. Another hire, Pablo Mastroeni was hired full-time as RSL's coach. I think we all saw that coming with the success that he had in the playoffs as interim coach. You knew he was going to get that job. I mean, I don't think there was ever much doubt about that. But kudos to him and kudos to RSL for making that hire. I think it was a great, great pick on their part. And then Houston Dynamo hiring Paolo Nagamura uh, to be the Houston Dynamo head coach. And and that one, of the, of the hires, I think that one's a little more you kind of like, mm, uh, you know, there were some other names that, that were in the in the picture for that job and and in terms of experience obviously he's he has some experience in usl we all know that he had a long career in mls but that that one's going to be an interesting one and pat onstad obviously wanted to put his stamp on the hire there uh jaime lozano had been linked to the job the the mexican olympic team coach but it ended up being nagamura uh, and we're going to see what he can do because of these teams, I'd say when you talk about LAFC, RSL, Houston, I mean, the Dynamo are the team that is definitely the biggest reclamation project. They have a lot of work to do to fix that team and to build up that roster. So you take a, 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 recon, a roster that needs reconstruction and a coach that doesn't have a ton of experience. I think we could see some struggles in Houston. And, um, you know, we'll see if the new owner there gives Pat Onstat and Nagamura uh, the time they need to try to rebuild that and uh, turn things around because it's been a minute. It's been a while since the Dynamo were a real competitor in MLS. Now, some of the big moves, I'm going to wrap up the episode here. I know some of you were probably expecting this episode to dive into the MLS draft and apologies for that. We will not be able to get into that in this episode, but I can promise you the next episode, I will get into much more detail on the MLS draft, but we have so much catching up to do that. It just, I just couldn't get the draft into this episode, but again, like I said, I'll have it in the very next episode. But just wrapping up some of these big deals in MLS. Lorenzo Insigne, the Napoli star, the Italian men's national team star, joins Toronto FC. He'll be joining in the summer. And that's a huge signing. Absolutely huge signing. And I know some people have heard the price tag on it and say, why would you spend that kind of money? He's 30. He's not what he was. Like, are we kidding people? Are we seriously kidding? Look, I know I get it, right? He's not having uh, the best year right now. He's had some injury issues. It, it hasn't been the, as the typically productive type year for Insigne. But I don't think that should be taken as, oh, he's done. He's washed. Are we serious? I mean, did anyone watch the Euros? I mean, he still has it. He can still play at a very high level. And I think he's going to come to MLS and absolutely dazzle. He's going to dazzle in MLS. And I think it definitely helps that he's coming into a setup that has talent. I mean, 
they have Alejandro Pozuelo. You have a, a star attacker there. You have other pieces. And most importantly, you have a coach. And Bob Bradley, who is a proven, not only a proven winner in MLS, and I think only you can only argue Bruce Serene is the only person in the same class as him in terms of success in MLS. He's coached stars before. He's coached big names before. Let's not forget, he, he coached uh, Listo Stoichkov, uh, the Barcelona legend, the Bulgarian legend. He, he coached him at the Chicago Fire. He coached Yuri Jorkaev uh, with the with the Metro Star slash Red Bulls. And he understands how to coach the big star, right? And I think that's, you know, he's going to fit right in. Insigne is going to fit right in. And we all know what Javinko did. And let's be real here. Lorenzo Insigne had a much better career in Serie A than Sebastian Javinko. He is, if you just look at straight up resumes, Insigne's resume, better than Javinko's. I mean, is it even close in terms of before they arrive in MLS, right? And we all know what Javinko did. Javinko was amazing in his time in MLS. And now Insigne comes in with plenty Plenty left in the tank. And I think for me, Bob Bradley has shown in his time in MLS, when you think about the Chicago Fire, he had Peter Novak. Um, when he was with the Metro Stars and he brought in a York Jorkaev. When he was with LAFC, he had a Carlos Vela. He knows how to get the most of a star playmaker. He knows how to showcase the playmaker, how to handle that playmaker. And Insigne is going to absolutely die. I think me personally, I would put all my money on him dominating in MLS. And of course, yes, there can always be issues with, with you know, if all of a sudden start becoming an injury issue. I think that's a bit of a jump jumping the, the gun there just because of his recent issues. But he is, for me, I think he's an amazing player and I think he's going to do great. And TFC is not messing around. They go get Bradley. They go get Insigne. There's talks about them adding one or two other big pieces. And, I, and my, I'm already hearing about some of the moves that they're looking to make. I think defensively, they're going to go try to get a piece or two that are, uh, that are going to be pretty impressive. So TFC is a project you, you're going to want to absolutely keep an eye on. Some of the other moves I wanted to touch on in MLS, Albert Rusnak to Seattle Sounders. Real Salt Lake uh, watches their star playmaker leave RSL. Obviously, he was a free agent. Seattle Sounders, man. I mean, first they take Freddy Juarez when he was RSL's coach. Now they take RS. I mean, they're just bullying RSL at this point. I mean, I don't know how fair that is. Although, as we all remember, RSL eliminated the Sounders. And this almost feels like payback. This almost feels like, oh, you want to eliminate us from the playoffs? Okay, we're going to sign your best player. So, I mean, obviously, that's not that wasn't the motivation. If you're the Sounders, you want Rusnak because Albert Rusnak is an outstanding attacking player and he's proven in MLS. There will there will not be that issue or concern about how do they adapt to MLS. Right. You know, Rusnak can do it in MLS. He's done it for years. Now you put him on a team like Seattle with all the talent on that team. It is scary to think how good Albert Rusnak can be. With the Seattle Sounders, so I think that's amazing. That well, that for me, outstanding move. Uh, another couple of quick moves: Alistair Johnston joins Montreal. Nashville trades him, the Canadian national team defender, who's really come into his own. And talk about again another uh, great find in the draft, right? When you're when you're in Nashville, you, you 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 pluck him out of the draft, you make him a starter. He he becomes a national team player for Canada, a national team starter for Canada. Real success story, and now you trade him to Montreal. He gets to be in Canada, which will help him, obviously, as he continues to solidify his place with the Canadian men's national team. Great move there for Montreal. Uh, and I hope, you know, you hope, you hope to see Johnson continue to succeed. It's just a great story of, of, of players, you know, coming through the draft and really making the most of the opportunity in MLS. And the last 
move or non-move or return. I'll talk about Caden Clark is reportedly coming back to the Red Bulls. Apparently he's going to come on loan. Um, he was sold to RB Leipzig and obviously RB Leipzig with what happened now, Jesse Marsh was fired. He's no longer the manager there. And now if you're RB Leipzig and you're kind of asking yourself what's going on with Caden Clark, he didn't have the best year at, you know, coincidentally after the, the, the transfers finalized, his season really was kind of a roller coaster for, uh, for the Red Bulls, but now he's going to go back to the Red Bulls and, you got you know what that's great news because if you're the Red Bulls I mean it obviously was a tough year from the standpoint of NYCFC winning MLS Cup um, and then you know your your Kyle Duncan leaves on a free you're already saying goodbye to some of the players that you brought in last season I believe Fabio is not coming back the striker so yeah they they need some help they and and they should hopefully not be done with this. Uh, I'll give the Red Bulls some credit. They were active in the draft. I thought they made some good moves. I thought overall the Red Bulls had a good draft. They were one of the better draft teams in terms of the moves that they made, what they wanted to do. I think the Red Bulls did a really good job in the draft. I'll get into more detail in that in the next episode. But if you're the Red Bulls, you need to do a lot more. And I, I one of the last things in the last episode we had after MLS Cup, I definitely, you know, I threw a tweet out there talking about the Red Bulls and after NYCFC won, you know, I kind of got into the whole, you know, maybe the Red Bulls need to sell because look, if they're not going to be serious about competing in this market, it's not going to be pretty, especially now that NYCFC wins this title and is just thriving as an organization. It's going to be that much tougher and tougher. I'll get into more detail on that. I'm apologies that I'm, I, I even brought it up now, but I wanted to just remind people that I have not forgotten. I will touch on that next episode. Something to keep an eye on. Another thing to keep an eye out for next episode, because I do want to get into some detail on what's going on with the Red Bulls, because it needs to be discussed. And I, I know Red Bulls, some Red Bulls fans were absolutely furious about the tweet that I dropped after MLS Cup. And, you know, full, I fully get that. But I think some, some Red Bulls fans know where I was coming from. And I think some Red Bulls fans would agree with that statement. And we'll get into that for sure next episode, but we'll see what happens with Caden Clark. That I mean, I think it's great that he's coming back because I think he still has more to prove. And I think he, I think he can absolutely help his development to, to have another, at least half season with the Red Bulls. I believe that's it for this episode of the SBI show. Definitely. Thank you for listening. Um, and again, once again, apologies that I had to take this break. I'm still battling a little bit and I'll share this with you if you're still listening to this episode. I'm still battling a bit with some some lung issues and uh, from the whole COVID battle. Um, I'm still working on it. I'm still uh, definitely trying to work out, trying to push myself, trying to get the, the lungs back to 100%. They're definitely not. I mean, even doing a full episode of the show by the end, I feel it. I feel it in my lungs. I feel it. I feel that kind of just strain. And uh, hopefully it gets better. Uh, it's, I guess I, I guess it counts me as a long hauler when it comes to the COVID thing. But I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. And I'm back. And I'm glad to be back. Glad to have the SBI show back. And we will get it rolling. We'll start to have the guests. We'll start to have the consistent episodes that much. For 2022, you want to talk about New Year's resolutions? For me, that is absolutely a New Year's resolution to get the SBI show back rolling and get it, take it to new heights. Because I definitely can see us doing some big things in 2022. So definitely thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to the, uh, to SBI soccer.com. If you have, if you haven't yet, please consider doing so. It definitely helps. The more subscribers we have, the more things we can do. And I do have some big plans for 2022, whether it's coverage of as many leagues as we can, we're going to, we're trying to bring in more writers, more staffers, there's a lot to get into in 2022, including the world cup at the end of the year, knock on wood. Hopefully the U S is there. They should be there. Let's be real. But yeah, we're back. SBI show is back. And that's all for now. I'm Ivan Scalar said. 
This is the SBI Show.